Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us, and monthly co-host Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. And this episode is sponsored by tarotbyginger.com. And you can reach Ginger at, obviously, tarotbyginger.com. And she is a fantastic, uh, been a fantastic guest on this podcast and friend. And um, if you're looking for some insight through the tarot, I highly recommend her. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Joyce Anastasia, and she has a book called Extraordinary Leadership During Extraordinary Times. Um, I think the book was written like in 2015, so it's definitely needed now. And, And then she also offers a whole bunch of other services as well, like leadership training, and she's also into the Sacred Wisdom School with remote viewing, time jumping, dream expansion, shamanic drumming, and some of the more typical topics that I cover on the show. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. So I didn't know much about you until like right before the show, and I was looking at your website, and I saw the title of the book, and then I looked at the date, and I was like, wow, this was written in 2015. Like, when you were writing this book, did you have any idea that we were going to hit the bump that we were going to hit in 2019? Well, I would say a little bit uh, because it was building up for a long time. And I was inspired personally to write the book because of experiences I had myself and experiences with the clients that I worked with. So I was recognizing a huge top-down problem in our world, uh, top-down and unethical ways of being in the world. And that is, that is the crux, in my humble opinion, of what is happening today in our world is this inability to feel that our power and our use of power can be utilized with deep ethics and powering with versus powering over in our world. So that's the general gist of what what has been going on for decades, but I was recognizing it deeply within people I work with and now it's showing up in in spades hmm. on the planet. So what kind of things were you, were you recognizing specifically? I want to take the notion of, you know, Toto in The Wizard of Oz? Just watched it recently. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And... Toto just happened to see the man behind the curtain and heard the hubbub and and pulled the curtain aside. Now, 
in that movie, the Wizard of Oz is a benevolent being, and yet he was doing actions that he wasn't even aware of as to how harmful they were to people around him, right. his whole community, for that matter, and that he didn't have to be this raging, powering over being in order to accomplish what was being accomplished in that little in that little society where people are look were looking for their own identities hmm. so i see that as being a parallel to what's happening now where i tend to have this capacity to see behind the curtain no matter where I've worked, no matter what organizations I've worked with, and I respect all of the places that I've worked. Incredible outcomes, uh, incredible engagement with people inside, but this undercurrent of it's okay to be unethical in order to gain power, wealth, economic sustainability. And I, I don't believe that that needs to be that way. And it was wreaking havoc and continues to do so with individuals and systems. And we are seeing the system meltdown, I believe, as a result of those unethical practices and ways of being. So... What are some of the like? I kind of got already got an idea of like what the unethical, the unethical practices are, or people are just using power in force in their will to try to get results. What is the actual ethical way to get the change in our society and in ourselves that that we're looking to do without being destructive? The more conscious we become of the ways we act, the way we speak, the way we engage with each other, I think is, is an excellent start. And to be able to forgive ourselves for making choices that might have brought us to a place where we are dismantled. And every, every human being has shadow and light, right? Yeah. And every human being makes decisions along the way on a daily basis. Sometimes we get to a point in our own timeline on this planet where we say, holy cow, how did I end up where I am in choices that I've made? And I use the example, I've used this example recently. I have known many people who have been in the mafia. Mm -hmm. They didn't start out when they were a teenager trying to find a career to say, I'm going to be in the mafia. I'm going to be heading the mafia. How did they get there? It was from little choices along the way that may have even been initially possibly beneficial for others 
Mm-hmm. And it was a fine line, a gray line. Like it, it, if I do this, it do the benefits outweigh the risks. And if you do that too many times, when the decision is out of fear versus out of love, then you're going to find yourself years later having accumulated a lot of those choices that actually make you or someone else collapse in your own, in your own being because it's in contradiction to why you were born in the first place. Why did you come here? Did you come here to harm other people? Did you come here to harm yourself? No, no. And did you come here to operate out of fear? No. There are things that we experience when we're kids that tip the scale to fear and make it really hard to to understand how can I courageously move forward? How can I courageously make decisions that are really going to be beneficial? Not only to me and my family or my loved ones, but also my community and our nation and beyond. And look at it on a timeline, not just for immediate impact, but for long-term impact. And this includes, you know, speaking of your show, I love your show. And and the name of your show, Everything Imaginable, because we have the capacity to tap into not only seen human beings and others who can help us, but the unseen realms too. And we live on a planet where, as I think I heard on one of your other episodes, this is a free will zone on earth Mm -hmm. and those from the unseen realms in the guidelines of planetary laws are not allowed to intervene on this planet unless we ask for it, unless we ask for help. And when we do, we have a chance to hear it, listen to it and move forward. And I think that's why I I had three near-death experiences because, because I did reach out and I did ask for help. And those three death, near-death experiences taught me so much about how to make choices out of love versus fear. So, I, you know, I'm... Then you probably have heard some of my episodes where I talk about my near-death experience also and, um, and and how it changed my perception. I don't even know if it's so much for the better. It's just made me see things differently. Um, tell me about your uh, near-death experiences and the effect that they had on you. So the first one, and I didn't grok this until I was told... Oh, Joyce. Well, let me let me just say this first. Speaking of my book, 
I get a call from a psychologist, a brilliant psychologist in Colorado, and he says to me, Joyce, I really appreciated your book, and I particularly want to speak with you about your near-death experience. And literally, my eyes gazed over, and I thought to myself, holy cow. I did have a near-death experience, and the near-death experience was about being almost strangled to death. Mm -hmm. So with that as a preface, I'm going to say, I, it was so traumatic, the experience I had, that I didn't even identify what had happened as a near-death experience. And of course it was. But it took an unlayering of what had happened to me in order to fully recognize it and be able to even speak about it. It's common, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. To be able to speak about it. So... So when I started to speak about near-death experiences, I also recognized that I had two others. The first was when I was born, and that was very interesting because my, my mom really didn't want to be pregnant again, and she was at the end of her term, and she ended up being given gas and ended up vomiting, not being able to push. And in that space, I have memories of feeling like I was drowning to death in toxicity. And I verified these things with my mom later on. But what I do recall is that a gigantic angel came to me and said, you have the choice to come here with this gorgeous white light and beautiful connection with my ancestors, or you can continue with this life. And I basically said, are you kidding it took me so long to find these parents. I'm definitely going to stay. So there were things that I learned from that mm -hmm. and also the, some of the challenges from that. The challenges from that are I'm allergic to almost any, any medication mm -hmm. and I'm allergic to a lot of foods. And I believe that it was a direct result of that of that experience and choosing to remain in this body. The gift of it was this sense of having free will, having choice, being able to say, yes, I choose life. I want to be here. I've already prepared for this. And I, I connected with my parents, who I think are the best choice for me to evolve with my 
soul space. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, seven years old, I was in school. I had dyslexia. I had a really tough time reading and challenges in school as much as I loved going to school. Didn't miss a day of school because I just wanted to absorb everything. My parents, who didn't have a lot of money, often took us on vacations and I had to stay extra time at school that year because of my dyslexia, learning, you know, as best I could, catching up with my class. So we went on this vacation and I was an adventurous type, so I went off on my own. Back then it was perfectly okay for a seven-year-old to go out <laughs> off on her own. And my, and my, at the time, uh, three other siblings. I'm, I'm one of five. But at the time, there were four of us. I went in the water. I was a really good swimmer. I got caught in a riptide, having no idea what a riptide was. Got flipped upside down and hit my head on a rock. And what I experienced as my head was bleeding and I went unconscious. And... This time, I was greeted by um, my beautiful aunt who had passed. She was in a nursing facility when she passed. And in this near-death experience, she brought me a white rose as I had brought her in real life. Mm -hmm. Years, uh, approximately a year before, maybe a months before, where I was upset with the doctors because I felt like they were treating her unethically because she was in a coma and they said she didn't hear, they, they, she couldn't hear them. And I asked her if she would please try to move her finger to make sure that she was alive. And... She was able to do so. So she she knew that I honored her for who she was. There was no mocking her or dissing her or making her feel any less than the amazing person she was with all of her disabilities and all the challenges she had to face. So when I met her, in that near-death experience, it was just the most joyful thing for her to hand me this white rose that I brought to her in real life. And then many, many beautiful things happened. Um, and again, a gigantic, gigantic being, like angel-like, said to me, listen, it is not your time. You, you have to go back even though I felt incredibly peaceful. But when I came back, when they carefully placed my soul's essence back into my body, all I remember was I was choking at the shore. There were people all around me, a lifeguard. My head was no longer bleeding. My vitals were taken. 
I was perfectly fine, but I had this rich experience of this exchange with relatives, including my aunt, and many other things happened. The third near-death experience was many, many years later when the precursor to it was I had had three very challenging events in like an eight or nine month period of time where I had essentially lost my job. I had just gone through a divorce and my father was diagnosed with cancer. And it was, uh, you know how that is. I like, do, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, things come in threes and sometimes it's like a cascade. Yeah. So I ended up moving from where I was in Florida up to New York to help my parents with my dad's illness. And then um, when he was in remission, I started looking for a job. Well, all the way up till that time from my career, I was, I was teaching at a, a university. I was teaching art and psychology. I have a master's degree in both. And I was always, always felt beautifully confident, not cocky, but confident in what I knew. And so I never felt like I had trouble finding a position ever mm -hmm. until this time where I moved out of that love of life and love of self into, I would call it an extreme fear of moving forward by myself because when I got married, I was very young. I didn't have a lot of experience. And so by that time, a, a decade and a half later, I was in a place where I was so used to being with my partner who I loved and cared about and wasn't expecting to have this happen. And we're still good friends, thankfully, um, you know, to now to date. Um, but I wasn't expecting that to happen. So I felt like there was a foundational loss of a support system. Even though my parents were there, they were having to contend with my dad's illness. So with that operating out of fear, I started to apply for jobs and took the first one that came along. And it literally paid like a third of what I had just been making and um, it was at poverty wages in the place that I went which was a place that I did want to go it was in New Mexico beautiful uh, New Mexico sunny 300 days out of 365 and an adventure so I arrived there and from the beginning until about a year's time, my boss kept asking me to date him, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. But it got so intense, and I held a lot of responsibility. I was teaching full-time, then I became interim chair of the department, then I became uh helper for the $9 million building that we were in the midst of building. 
had a lot of responsibility. And I finally said yes, but again, it was out of fear. I still hadn't gotten over my fear of losing my job. And so instead of making a choice out of love, out of genuine desire to date someone, I was doing it out of fear of losing my position. So fast forward a little bit, I realized I had a dream actually that said, you, you, you need to make a different choice, Joyce, you need to. And I remembered something that I hadn't told anyone in my near-death experiences. I had a student who was very psychic, as I was, and she was often ostracized in the classrooms and sometimes even removed from the classrooms because of her extreme capacity to see and share it. So she had a, a little bit of a tough time socially appropriately sharing it. Um, but she pulled me aside one day and said, I need to give you this letter. The letter was a dream that she had about me being strangled by someone. And I thought, you know, she had a lot of expressions like this. Some would, some would come true that we could see and some we weren't sure if they were predictors. Well, fast forward when I chose to no longer date this man. Many things happened in between, but he demoted me. There were many things that happened in the classroom where instead of uh, allowing me a voice, he just kept taking action that would undermine my capacity to, to teach properly. And I, it, it was very, very upsetting. So one day we were in a dialogue about this and he just snapped because he wanted me to date him again. And he started strangling me. And in my ear, he said, I could hide you in the desert and no one would ever find you. As I was leaving my body going unconscious and having that statement as a statement going from being in this place of fear and trying to understand how someone could possibly make a choice like that to harm me when he claimed to to really care about me and this is a parallel with our world with systems that claim to care about humanity but then choices are made to harm this was a similar energetic to control and this time I look I was I didn't look up but I looked down and saw my body being strangled and I shifted into this complete calmness of boy am I glad I'm not in that body right now because 
that was so painful. And a gigantic angel once again with this golden light came to me and brought me to this book. And the book was backward in time. And it was my life review. And I was asked to look at all the ways in which I had helped people when I was making choices out of love. And there were many. And it was beautiful. And it was very uh, moving. Very, very moving. And then when I was done, I was told in a booming voice, from a booming voice, okay, now it's time for you to look back on your life and see how you may have harmed people, advertently or inadvertently. And as I started to do that, not only was I shown that lifetime, but I was shown other lifetimes. And I'll just share one that's, that's the most relevant, which was I saw a lifetime of being in the French Revolution where I was serving as an executioner. And I was the executioner of the man who was strangling me. And so my entire body, vessel, being, soul, grokked it in a split second. Wow. Even though I didn't do it intentionally to harm him. I was operating in a position that was likely out of fear so that I would have a job, so that I would make a living, not understanding the consequences of that kind of job where I would be asked to take someone's life. So this is not to excuse the behaviors of anyone but it shows a cycle of why my life might have reconnected with that person's life. And not even that I had karmic attachment because I asked in that space of near-death experience, what, did I owe him something? And I was told, no, we are just trying to show you how you in your fear space, ended up connecting with someone who in a similar way, you were operating out of fear versus love. And further on, it was about, I didn't have trouble forgiving him. I didn't have trouble forgiving others. I had trouble forgiving myself. And so in that moment, and all of this is happening in seconds, as, as you know. I forgave myself, and I was swirled into the, this vortex tunnel, into this other area, this, this pristine, paradise-like area, where there were master teachers from, from all over, Krishna, Christ, Buddha, uh, several female master teachers and ones that I didn't know the names of. And they then asked me, would you like us to show you the history of 
the universe and information that that will help you to understand life space the, the birth and creation of the universe they brought me to when dragons were on this planet and little organisms were brought into this world and how we interact with each other and why we do the things we do and why we come back in the first place and in deep gratitude when that was over this time like my first near-death experience I was offered a chance to stay or, or, or to come back to my body that was being strangled and once again because this is all seconds in time mm -hmm. but I took a deep breath and, and said you know I really do want to come back because my work is not done I haven't finished what I came to do in this lifetime and I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt after seeing all that I have why do I need to come back into a baby body to go through all those things again when I could do it right now? But I do need some help when I go back. Could you please help me to get this man's hands off my throat? Because I don't want to die and I don't want to be disabled. I don't. And it felt like I had been there before. I didn't come here to be disabled for the rest of my life. Some people do, but I know I knew that I didn't. So they gave me instructions on exactly how to get this six foot three, 280 pound guy. And you could see me and I'm, I'm like five foot. Can't see my height, but I'm five foot about 95 pounds. So it was, um, it was quite a, a miraculous experience to be able to pull him off of me with the help of from the unseen world and to run and to um, make different choices going forward. Wow, that's incredible. So what was it that they showed you? Like when, you, when they offered to show you like creation um, what was that like for you? Like, what did you see? And from that experience, did you gain any insight into why all this was created to begin with? I did. And so I want to say to you that when they asked me that question, I was expecting it to be like the paradise I was in and the calmness and the blah, 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 blah. No, it wasn't like that at all. It was from my perspective, because I'm coming from the Earth realm, which is a dual planet, mm -hmm. to their realm where there is no judgment, there is no shame, there is no blame about things. So everything was seen with this, this openness of, this is about creation. So they showed me something like, first of all, the chrysalis of a caterpillar. And there's so much warring going on inside 
between cells, the cells that are evolving into something new, mm -hmm. and the cells that are choosing to stay to be a caterpillar and to die off, right? So they're showing me this battle, this nasty battle. And, and then they show me, and there were, this was like a lifetime of visuals and experiences and smells and sights, if you can imagine, as if I had lived 10 lifetimes in this seconds of time. Right. But they showed me that the spark of creation, and and this is what they just demonstrated, like a, a vortex of a black emptiness that had a spark. And the spark was from consciousness trying to be born. That's the way it was kind of expressed. And when it emerged, they showed me kind of errors and time frames. So they were showing me the, the angelic realms where, where angels were in this other space and time and they made choices to be separated from source itself so that they could experience their own creativity. That was the spark within us all, is the spark of creativity. That's what I was shown. And the spark then created this sensation to want to create on their own, want to perhaps co-create in the and it was different than that it's not quite like we know it on earth where there's sexual intercourse that occurs it was more like um they were asking permission to experience separation and and being told that hey we want to remind you that experiencing separation doesn't always translate into the peaceful, energetic that you all experience just being the unity of one. In order to feel a delta or a difference between being one with the divine and separate requires a separation in order to mm -hmm. create back to source. So th they were showing me all these things, and it was in the moments that I was experiencing all of them, everything was comprehensible. Well, once I got back into my body here, although I could remember many, many parts of it, m much of it was not no longer comprehensible with the limitations of my earth brain and my understanding here and now. But they certainly helped to unravel a lot of the way we are on this planet and how we get 
how we get distorted with our hanging on to separateness instead of seeing it as this is a creative spark. We are each unique beings and those unique beings contribute back to source and source is ever evolving. So it never is stagnant. And I worked with a lot of indigenous tribes and that theme of ever evolving mm -hmm. is so much what I wish we could get back to and how we each contribute and how nature contributes and how if we don't respect ourselves and nature and these other beings and those beings can't contribute then then we become forces against the actual spark that we each are powering over all those things feeling a need to lie you know Seeking and Speaking Truth is the second chapter in my book. Having integrity. What does that mean? Well, in that space that I was in, the all and nothing, and, and getting this download, one of the things I also learned is that there were times when we could read each other's minds. Mm -hmm. But it became so disruptive to our capacity to uh, separate enough so that we could create enough to come back to source. We were forced in a lot of ways to uh, not be able to do that. And also this theme of not remembering our past lives because we would blame ourselves instead of forgiving ourselves, not letting ourselves off the hook, but forgiving ourselves and being responsible for our actions. These are all themes that were brought out in this near-death experience. Wow. That, that's incredible. So... But after the separation, like, it, is it the, is the point of living to have experience and then to reconnect? And you mentioned things like telepathy, you know, and, and how we were not able to handle it so we don't have it anymore. Are those things that are going to return to us as we become more mature? Absolutely. As we, as we become more conscious, even, even right now, I guarantee you, Gary, that you could read my mind if you wanted to. If you Maybe. calm yourself, because, and, and so let's do it with permission. So, so I'm, I'm going to think of something and I'm going to write it down. Hmm. And, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but mm -hmm. this is, this is playful and, uh, and caring. Okay. So, yeah. So I just drew a picture of what I was reflecting on. Hmm. And I just want you to close your eyes and allow your left and right brain to integrate instead of 
shutting everything down of the left brain. That's another thing they taught me. If you just allow for So kind of, kind of what I'm seeing is something that's like a, a yellow-shaped T. A yellow-shaped T. What do you mean? It's like a, like a, almost like a, a cross or an airplane type of shape, and it's yellow. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to show you. Huh. So that T yeah. is across the world. Yeah. So love across the world. Uh-huh. That's interesting because that second time I closed my eyes just now, I just sort of saw like this blue ball. It's so weird how the mind gives us these pictures. Yeah, you know, you see, like you definitely tapped into something there. And it just takes a little bit. And this is just a... Mm-hmm. A minor thing. So the answer to your question, can we do this now? Can we recapture those things? This is what I feel is going on in our world. It's having a near-death experience. Uh-huh. That's what I think. That's interesting. Having, That's a cool point of view. We're having a collective near-death experience. And when we come out the other side, we are going to be able to access more readily the more conscious we become of how, you know, the, when the collapse happens, mm -hmm. we have to be more responsible for our actions and things we say and all of that. But I believe we're going to be able to tap into even more readily our city powers, our powers that are are just turned off right now in our beingness because we have abused them. We've, we abuse those powers. And, you know, I was shown for myself, this is not true for everyone, but I lived during Atlantis. I contributed by turning a blind eye to something that mm. I could have stopped and helped. And now I don't take all responsibility, but part of my responsibility became do not turn a blind eye to things. And I did in Atlantis. And Atlantis had city powers constantly. We were constantly using these city powers, these beautiful powers of being able to transport our bodies from one place to another without having to use vehicles that use fossil fuels and and things like that that pollute our planet, that are harm our planet instead of help our planet. Yeah. To be able to uh, read each other's minds with permission that would allow us to take in constructive criticism when we're always so frightened to hear <laughs> feedback, right? Mm -hmm. And, and when that very feedback, when given with love, is the very thing that can help us be better human beings on this planet. Same thing on larger scales gets bigger and bigger as, 
as this happens. So I'm going to tell you that in our world now, there are tribes and people who actually are practicing and developing these talents, yeah, like yeah. in Colombia with the tribes in Colombia, the the Mamos, uh, the the Kogi, the Wiwa, the mm. Ayawaku, all of the tribes have practices where when a young boy and in some tribes when a young woman is to a certain age, interestingly, seven or eight years old. When was my second near-death experience? Seven. seven or eight years old, where they are asked to separate into a cave to help them to develop the interiorized way of being because our world is so out there right now. Everything is external. We're receiving information 90% from external instead of this beautiful honoring of an, our interiorized space, which helps us to turn those powers on. So they go through this training and they develop that capa those capacities as much as is humanly possible and based upon their own cultural exchange now in our current world, right? So when a team of people, these beautiful people that I've worked with for a nonprofit called the Foundation for Global Humanity, went into this tribe because we were called, as many people across the globe and tribal leaders were called to come because there was a crisis going on back in, 2011 and it was the crisis that has led to what's happening in our world now all the power over the use of of fraudulent devices to to harm people so this calling together was to help to raise consciousness so that at least enough people had the tipping point of not destroying our planet again, which we were headed toward and may still be, but hopefully enough of us are becoming conscious to shift that. And we are powerful beings. And when that old expression, when one or more are gathered together, no matter what spiritual tradition you're in, it is a force to be reckoned with when it is founded in divine love and moral ethics. And ethics, I mean this notion of do no harm, to do no harm. It's really awesome. So here we are as a team, Foundation for Global Humanity. Our mission was to record document and preserve indigenous and contemporary ways of knowing, healing, and leading on the planet. And we entered into this space with deep reverence and, and, uh, and honoring. There were approximately eight to 12 of the Mamos, these spiritual teachers who 
were in a semicircle as we entered. It was approximately 100 degrees in temperature, very hot. We were in raw nature. We each had tents. We brought in equipment. It was crazy doing <laughs> doing filming equipment in the tents with uh, with little solar battery packs to keep our equipment going. But we came there, and they all did what they call a registering of us. Now, what does that mean? They're exercising one of the city powers, which is to read our minds mm -hmm. and to read our life review, to read it so that they could see if our hearts were pure enough to take in both our gifts and our shadows within ourselves. And if we weren't able to take in our shadows, we would not be ready to participate in the ceremonies that we were about to attend. And they would have to ask us to leave respectfully. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Isn't it awesome? It is very awesome. <laughs> and we had no idea what they were doing, right? Mm -hmm. But just imagine this. So for a long time, for I would say it was probably an, at least 45 minutes to an hour in the freaking heat. And we're like feeling this sense of they're looking into our souls. Each of us talked about it later because we felt that that's what was happening. Yeah. And... And what I found in my own being was that I, I started to be really moved and almost weeping because they were looking with non-judgmental eyes. And that sounds ironic, non-judgmental, but they could tell us to leave. They, but they were observing our readiness mm -hmm. of consciousness to go into a ceremony where you better be able to look at your shadows because we're going to work for the greater earth to look at its shadows. And if we can't look at our own, we certainly can't look at the greater shadows, right? right? Wow, that's incredible. That is absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I've been thinking about myself, like what to do with this podcast. You know, one of the things is I'm going to do is I'm going to be I'm not going to change the name of it, but I'm going to change the, the subtitle of it. Rather than a podcast for curious minds, it's going to be imagining a better world. Because I think that, you know, alone as a podcaster, you know, all I can do is provide information to people that are willing to take it. Um, but as a collective, if enough people work as a collective and, and just imagine a better world that will start to take effect and take hold because we are creating a reality and we create it as individuals and we create it as a collective. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't agree with you more. I think that's a fabulous idea. Wow. Yeah. That is 
So, so yeah, yeah. It's just listening to you talk really struck home with me on some of the ideas that, that I have had. And, um, and also the near death experience. I had a near death experience where I didn't encounter any beings, but I was just in this black void and it was colors and music surrounding me. And it was ridiculously peaceful. And, and there was no judgment. There was, oh, there was awareness, but there was no judging of it. And when I came out of it, one, I was sort of angry. I was angry. I was mad that I came out, that I, that I had to come back. And, um, and I don't know. I, I've never been quite the same again since. In fact, if anything, I've been maybe like less peaceful than, than I was prior to that because maybe my awareness of that shadow self is stronger now. Yeah. And, and do you see how you could actually bring that peace that you felt into your everyday life and spread it around like, uh, Gary Appleseed? <laughs> I, I haven't figured that out yet. That's the part that kind of has been eluding me, you know? Like, like you mentioned earlier, it takes, you have this, experience like well my last like was was long it was like 30 minutes in, in regular time but it does this the time is completely different because you're in a place without time and then when you come back and you wake up it's like you spend the rest of your life peeling that freaking onion <laughs> well i you know i am being guided i my work is transformational leadership consulting, but it involves like an intuitive, deeply intuitive work because what I, what I sense from you is that you're just missing the bridge. The bridge is not fully built yet from your experience of peace. Mm -hmm to your everyday life, but you've been trying to build it. And what, what you just said about the, your change, you're going to change the name of the subtitle of the podcast is part of that bridging. I mean, that action is fabulous to do yeah. because I, I, I don't want you to lose out on the experience you had in your near-death experience of that, how did you say it? You didn't say crazy piece. You said, you said ridiculous piece or something. I think you said, I think you said the word ridiculous piece yeah. because it was so huge and something you maybe hadn't felt on this planet. I invite you to take that ridiculous piece and just take snippets every day to encourage you to either quiet your mind and interiorize or to take an action. Because that's, that's what my near-death experiences did for me. I was like either call to action or I was gifted with something incredible like 
my second near-death experience, the seven and eight-year-old thing, mm -hmm. you know how I told you yeah. that I had dyslexia? Well, what happened after that, approximately three months after that, when I'm going back to school, and I'm like thinking, oh, here we go again, you know, I'm going to have to deal with <laughs> dealing with my dyslexia, not being able to read print this big. My cousin came to my house to gift my father with an, a book on Edgar Casey because she had just read it and she was all excited about it. Edgar Casey is the renowned prophet who did healing in trance and he was one of one of the more accurate readers of people's health and well-being that actually was alive and recognized for it. So Edgar Casey was recognized in his life. People would come to him from all over the globe to receive um, healings. And I have... Uh, have heard a little bit in my research, in my scientific research, that even Nikola Tesla may have gone to him. It's very hmm. interesting. I know that. Think about it, right? So, Edgar Casey served many leaders, and also, Edgar Casey was a beacon of the use of city powers with ethics because when his gift would be misused because he never wanted it to be misused he said that out of the gate when he first found out he had this gift he would get deathly ill so people in the stock market who wanted to gain money he he usually would not read about money at all but he was reading about money to help to build a facility. So when it was with the intention of building something beautiful, he would read. He would do a reading for that end. And the people would follow whatever it was. Well, someone who came in was initially asking for something with a good intent, ended up asking for nefarious things, mm -hmm. right? And he got very ill. Well... Let me go back to the moment that I was exposed to this book. So my dad was not going to read the book because he was not a book reader. He liked reading magazines. He liked reading newspapers, but he just didn't like reading books. When my cousin brought the book and I saw it as this eight-year-old, seven, eight-year-old, and saw Edgar Cayce's picture, I got a vision that I saw in my near-death experience of this golden-lit angel and Edgar Casey's picture was superimposed on that vision. And I was like, my whole body got tingly from top to bottom. It's, it's doing that right now, by the way, <laughs> as I'm speaking. And, and I snuck the book after my cousin left into my room, and I'm thinking to myself, I had two conflicting thoughts. I've got to read this book. And what are you thinking, Joyce? How, what an 
idiotic thought you think you could read this book. You can't even read an inch big, you know, Jane runs after Dick, you know, mm -hmm. like it's crazy. So I get into my bedroom, I take a flashlight and I start reading. And in three nights, I finish the book. Hmm. I could not believe it. I couldn't believe his life. It reflected my life. It was like, oh my God, there's someone else out there like me. This is so beautiful. And the whole experience of the near-death experience when I was seven or eight came flooding back. And when I went back to school, I could read. Wow. No longer the dyslexia. I have a little bit of it residual mm -hmm. that happens once in a while. But for the most part, I went from being a C student because I couldn't read to being an A student in a matter of months. Mm. And loving school as I already did, but this entry into school was totally miraculous. That's interesting. And I took that in, right? I took that in. So so you could take those things in, like, where can you find me to peace? Because peace was the gift you received. Where could you find that here in your own being? Hmm. That's a good question. It's like I used to find it, but I don't haven't lately. Not in the last couple of years. Um, it's interesting too that you mentioned the dyslexia. I had dyslexia too as a kid, but my experience was completely different. I had like went on a after I graduated high school, I went like on a three month binge on Angel Dust. <laughs> but afterwards, I wasn't dyslexic anymore. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Wow. So, so I don't know, like, like this weird illegal drug. <laughs> so, you know, there are, um, what I say to people is if they need to do drugs, not, I encourage the, the shamanic medicine mm -hmm. plants have a much more alignment with our beings because they're not artificially created. Yeah. But even with any kind of drug, the fallout, of course, is addiction, right? Mm -hmm. But if the gift is that it opens up an avenue of consciousness carefully, then then it could be the greatest gift. And then what I say to my clients is, can you take that experience? So for you, it was angel dust and not being dyslexic anymore. Can you take whatever it was that happened and allow your being to understand maybe what happened with your chemical processes so that you could repeat it within your own vessel from the spiritual to the bodily emotional 
piece of that, mm-hmm. right? I I know that that's possible. I've worked with CEOs, VPs, um, in our everyday working family people, 30-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 90-year-olds, who really wish for this to happen, where they can take the gifts of something like that. And, you know, the newest thing is microdosing. Mm-hmm. Take the gifts of that. So what if that microdose wasn't available, you know, with all the the shipping and receiving challenges we're experiencing in our world right now? How could you replicate whatever it is that you're enjoying from that, whatever experience it is? I truly believe that we have the capacity to do that. And the more conscious mm-hmm. we become, the more we are able to. Yeah, yeah, we do. And we like like now I'll use things like, obviously I'll use things like meditation. Um, but one of the other tools that I'll use, I'll use meditation. Sacred geometry is also another good one. And, bin- yes. and binaural beats. Like, like there's all these new... There's other ways now to kind of go into these altered states and make different connections in your mind and create new neural pathways. and It's incredible. Yes. And do you know that um, the Monroe Institute mm-hmm. was the initiator of that bin- binaural beat? And the founder of that, Robert Monroe, was actually one of the first uh, deep divers in researching on radio transmissions. Hmm. And that he was also the voice of the shadow. You know, that old-fashioned television show that my dad loved? (laughs) Only the shadow knows. Well, he created and produced that show, and he was the voice of that show, hmm. which is very cool. So he he had an experience of when he would hear these sounds, he would go out of body, and he wanted to be able to, speaking of replicating what you experience, and he wasn't psychotic, and he went to all these psychiatrists to have this checked out. How did I get out of body? And I could see a problem in the roof of the building that I'm in, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> without climbing a ladder. It just, all of a sudden I'm there. Uh, he, he was at the forefront of developing technologies around this. And, um, I had the great good fortune of, of serving as an outreach Monroe trainer. For this kind of this kind of learning for people, mm. because you can take it in if you listen to it enough. It it then becomes entrained in your being in your brain. It entrains your brain to a new way of responding. Yeah, I actually one of my guests gave me some of the original cassettes that Bob Monroe had recorded for the government. Um, I mean, it's debatable, apparently, what project, government project they were recorded for. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're really interesting. Was it related to remote viewing? 
That's what the guest said. However, um, when I interviewed, um, um, well, I had talked to somebody else who actually wrote the handbook for the remote viewing program from the CIA, and he said that, that these tapes were not used for that program, that it was part of a different program. Interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. There's so many, like, I want to say rabbit holes around mm-hmm. these things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So what got you interested in this? So, you know, when, when I was a kid and I was, I had these capacities that I thought were normal and then mm-hmm. were told basically, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of weird, Joyce. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to have that near death experience that also helped me to accept that this is a gift and not a curse and that I could use it and develop it for the rest of my life and use it to benefit the world. So, um, I wanted to go to school for parapsychology, but when I actually explored that, I found that it was very military based and I honestly was concerned that this gift would be used nefariously, even though it has been used in many positive ways in the military and otherwise. Mm -hmm. But I did not want it to be used without my knowing that it might be used to harm someone. So how did you get interested in this oh god i started when i was a kid um i don't know my my mom used to say like about something about you know if if people were born with this veil over their face they had psychic abilities and she said that i was so that kind of got me interested then i had an aunt that read tarot cards and i was fascinated by that so i'll say like around 12 i started reading tarot Without really knowing what I was doing, but I was just doing it, and it was coming up pretty accurate. Um, and then also, you know, as I got into a teenager, I got into, like, a lot of, like, heavy metal music, which, you know, a lot of it's sort of occult-based and, and stuff like that. That got me interested in the occult and things like the Golden Dawn and secret societies and things like that. And, and it just kept on growing. And from there, it was, like, the paranormal investigation and UFOs and spirit communication and, you know, then the near-death experience. After that is like when I started this podcast, you know, I was like, what am I going to do with all this stuff that I know anyway? You know what I mean? Yes. And, and that's how the podcast came about. So it's just this ongoing interest and, and accumulation of knowledge and figuring out how to put it in order and in a way that's useful for people. It's really beautiful and interestingly coming full circle. Here you are, you were um, investigating not only white magic, but dark magic, right? In, in those. I, was, I, even, I don't really identify white and dark magic. I think they're both, the same energy. I think it's the intention that, yeah. that, that decides whether something is white or dark. Yes, yeah, so think about it on a continuum. 
getting back to uh, the circle you saw earlier, mm. right? <laughs> um, the sphere. Yeah. And on a continuum with anything, we have light and dark in this in this dual world. In other realms, it's it's not black or white, right or wrong, right? Right. right. So on that continuum, we can choose whether to use the same energy. You're you're you got it, that foundation of the same power, the same mm -hmm. energy to do good or to do something that's nefarious or harmful. Yeah. So when people get in a place of separation, even even um people who just get depressed in life that is a separation from self in my observation a separation from self so that it leaves open a doorway for other energies to come in who want to control so someone asked me the other day do you believe that there are only good air quotes <laughs> good aliens or all bad aliens and i said absolutely there are those who do very beneficent things in the in the world mm -hmm. in the universe and those who choose not to and and those who toggle in between mm -hmm. and everything in between <laughs> so i i this gets back to from the personal to the global. Perhaps in our world right now, in this near-death experience, there have been energies from other realms that have been trying to control human beings. And, and maybe not. And maybe there are ETs or people from other or energies and beings from other planets who actually want to save our planet <laughs> want to help us yeah. want to open up our eyes for consciousness and i've had many experiences with with uh ets and ufos and experiences again related to the unseen realm am i gonna call it in for beneficent energetics or I'm am I going to call it in to control someone else do you see how in this in these very succinct little ways we can make choices at every moment that make our life magnificent yeah. that can make our lives our lives more miraculous literally at every moment if we choose it, and sometimes we forget, and sometimes we're tired, and sometimes we get pummeled so much that we just, like, yeah. you know, throw up our arms. But so much of our lives, if we can take responsibility, even for our little thoughts, like, I've seen people in work environments, they're gossiping at the water tank, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, why? Why, why do you wish to do that? Why, why are you dissing your colleague? 
Why are you choosing to do that? What, why are you not trying to see the gifts in your colleague so that he or she can emerge with the brightest light ever to help the company succeed? That's a simple example, but I'll tell you, when people start to think of things in that way, holy cow, their life starts changing within days, and then I, I'll ask them, I want you to pay attention after you make a change, a shift like that, the synchronicities that happen in your life. What comes into your life after you do something like that? Positivity. That's like, you know, that, that old saying, you know, um, First there's a thought, then there's a word, then there's an action. Yes. So it all starts with that thought. And the word is the light, that yep. spark that those beings showed me, the spark mm -hmm. of creativity, the spark of creation. We are creations, and we create every moment. Yeah, yeah, we are all co-creators in this. And we can choose where it goes. Yeah. Wow. Whew. This was a fantastic episode. You're a great guest. Thank you. Wow, that was amazing. Um, I really care about humanity and what happens <laughs> to us and our planet and beyond, you know. I believe that, well, there's so much more we can, we can uh, be. So much more we can be. I agree with you. I agree with you. And granted, my approach is probably not as peaceful as yours because I tend to <laughs> rage against the government and religions and corporations and Stuff like that, but <laughs> hey, you know what? Somebody, somebody just showed me a quote by Saint. Um, I think it's Saint Francis Aquinas, mm -hmm. and it was about it was about anger, like righteous anger. If we are unable to express. these emotions that are part of being human there's a reason why you're pissed off and if you deliver it in a way that evokes a greater response how fantastic is that there's nothing wrong with being righteously upset about something it's like toto pulling the curtain <laughs> right right like Holy crap, who is that behind the curtain, right? Like, <laughs> what is going on here? And exposing, and, and here, here comes back to uh, reading people's minds. Mm -hmm. If people have an intention to harm, you better darn well want to stop it if you can or to, or to um, invite them to stop it, which is even better because... If they're not doing it, someone else will do it. But if they can recognize, have an aha experience of, oh, 
How is this impacting people? It really is hurting people. It's like killing people. Um, they might then say, I don't have to do this anymore. That is my greatest, if, if I were to have a dream, uh-huh. my greatest dream is that those who have gotten way steeped in separation, forgetting that the whole purpose in separating was to bring their unique light back to source. Mm-hmm. If, if I can help in any way to affect change, small and large, in people who are way down that rabbit hole where they say before their deathbed I want to take responsibility for what I did I want to recognize it first I've screwed up people's lives accidentally or maybe on purpose I don't need to power over to gain power and wealth because it's all an illusion anyway it's not about it's not about that it's more about how can I contribute to powering with to make everyone more powerful in the, in the most incredible ways of all of our gifts spreading out mm. when that begins to happen and it already has. I've already kind of seen little glimmers of it. When people start to make different choices because they're inspired to and make choices that are responsible and loving, then this world is going to change maybe even overnight. It's maybe. possible. It is possible. Wow. So I want to thank you for coming on today. I, I hope we get to do this again because I feel like there's a whole lot more that we and I could definitely talk about. Um, but before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you and find your book and your services? At uh, leadbywisdom.com. And you can actually contact me at 415 415- Three two two nine four four two, and at some point, if you would like, in the future, I would be happy to give an intuitive transformational reading to you or your guests uh, as part of the process, so that there's an understanding of how do you get from here to there, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I would love that. Excellent. Great. And I'll put um, the link to your website and the phone number in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you. That will be fantastic. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you. And just hang on for one moment, and I'm going to play the outro. Sure.
t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. Don't forget to listen to today. Don't forget.